I'm just a hot mess, figuratively and literally. It's just. Okay, no. In the tech booth. Yeah, we're good. Nope. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got the I got the uh, eyebrow nod. We're good. I thought that was me misreading signs again. I just couldn't quite figure that out in baseball. Slide, steal, bunt. I don't know. Glad you're all are here, braving our California crazy weather, like 30 mile an hour winds. We don't know what to do. Waterfalls from the sky. Thankfully, we're we're good. And as we Start February, originally I thought we'd jump back into Romans, and as I was praying and waiting, there's, there's a value we put down as we, as we highlighted our four core kind of essentials to obey the Great Commission and, and lead a church that prioritizes corporate worship, number one. Number two, life groups, small group Bible studies. We, we learn in rows, grow in circles, and then kids and youth ministry ultimately leading towards the knowledge of salvation in God, growing in relationship with God and others, ultimately going and and missionally living our lives and making disciples. And and one of those values that's never really talked about or or broken down or sat with, and because it's hard and there's a lot of difficulty surrounding it, and this is difficult because it's talking about difficult suffering and trials. And as we looked at a worship and missions last week and and the suffering of being in prison, it really set up the theme of just looking at how do we endure suffering in Christ. And then uh, a new friend to me, and and we've known a lot of the same people, David and his family, they're going to be here next week to talk about how they've answered that call to go be missionaries and endure their own suffering. So I'll, I'll let him unpack all that for you next week. But it really fits with when we talk about missions, we talk about serving we don't always talk about counting the cost and, and the sacrifice that goes along with it. And how do we, we joyfully prepare for that? And, and looking to Jesus and looking to Peter and Paul and then the apostles and even some modern missionaries, that will hopefully prepare our hearts for what God's called us to be, the church, the hands and feet. As we kind of have a huddle, we go over the play and then we go execute all week long. And then we gather again and we repeat. And as we open God's word, I just pray that this, this idea and this value of embracing suffering, following Jesus' example, we're going to joyfully embrace suffering knowing that he is with us. As we set up the context in Second Peter, reading those verses every time, there's, there's not one person that reads them today and goes, oh weird, I wonder when that day is coming because I don't see any of that happening. You're like, how did they, did they just turn on the news or did they look outside? Like how did he know to just write down everything that we're enduring and yet how do we be the church how do we share the gospel that goes against everything the culture and the world saying is good and we're saying, well, Scripture says it's wrong. So let's open in a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and see maybe how God's called, gifted you to, to maybe be saved if you have yet to believe in Jesus today or as a believer to go, wow, I need to lay down this and, and serve Christ today. Let's pray. As we open your word, Lord, may you open our eyes. May your spirit guide, give us understanding and direct our steps We're grateful that we're here today and you've opened up a relationship through the death and resurrection of your son. May we believe that, take hold of it, and join you in your mission. 
to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start asking two questions. What motivates you? What fires you up? What got you up this morning? As a, as a competitor, people have asked from time to time, hey, do you, are you a competitor? I'm like, have you ever seen me coach or play? Like, I just, all, all, all game yesterday in our three and four, fourth grade girls basketball game, I'm screaming at this one, the smallest. She's more of a, a dancer and cheerleader, kind of, that's been her, her history of sports. And so she's playing basketball. And she's like, got the defense and the ball is right there. And I'm like, steal the ball, steal the ball. And these, hopefully the parents know I'm like not really that crazy, but seriously, get the ball. <laughs> what motivates you? Like what drives you? I love seeing people develop in the final seconds of the game. We pull our starting lineup out, put everyone else in, the pressure's on, the ball's right there and she steals it. And I'm like, yeah, who cares about the score? You, you developed, you grew. And I love seeing that, not just with athletes, but with Christians. Oh my goodness, Jesus loves me. Yes, oh, you're a Christian. And then, hey, I'm starting this ministry. I'm reaching these people. Okay, let's, how do we fund it? How do we support it? How do we pray it up? Let's see you reach the world. There's a whole world of people that don't know Jesus. There's your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. There's 2,500 homes. You multiply that by two. There's about 5,000 people moving to Paso if they ever get it done. Uh, but there's other projects. There's people coming that don't know in our community Jesus. All right, what motivates you? Maybe you can tell what motivates me. We gotta get the love of Jesus into their hearts because eternity is at stake. But are you trusting Jesus with your finances, with your marriage, with your friendships, with your career, with your family? The, the first question, what motivates you? The second question is, what does it look like to trust Jesus with your life? As we, as we hold those, those questions and we look at this Chapter 3, where Paul's telling Timothy, understand this, there's last days are coming, and it's going to be difficult. Verse 2, people will be lovers of self rather than lovers, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to God but through me. Whenever you, you see truth there, I just love how Jesus says, that's me, I'm it, I'm the truth. Never arriving at Jesus and every, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, every heresy, and again, we see right away Janus and Jambres, which were an extra-biblical source, they opposed Moses with this heretical, they didn't arrive at Jesus. They're like, no, there's another way. There's another religion. There's another value system. There's morality over here. This is what is good. Every time someone doesn't arrive at Jesus, they're arriving somewhere else. That's not the truth. We see in verse 9, but they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. There is challenges. There is suffering. There's, there's heresy. There's false teaching all around. And so what is true? We have to go back to God's word. And we're reminded that it's clear that Jesus said, not only did he say you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart of overcome the world. 
in John 16, 33, but then in John 15, setting it up, verses 18 through 20, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Which some of you are like, well, that's great. I'm following Jesus, the one that the world hates. Like, thanks for saying it out clearly, laying it out clearly for me. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours as well. So how do we navigate suffering, enduring suffering, reminded that the world hated Jesus. They hated his message of, of hope and peace only through surrender to the one who died on the cross and rose again. Only through laying your life down to serve others. As he demonstrated, as he walked with us through, saying, look, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And now you're going to lay your life down as well, serving others, looking for people who are lost. Maybe it's as, as far as the, the, the three feet separating the front doors in an apartment or, or the, the, I don't know, 40 feet, or maybe it's the, the 40 acres or however close your neighbor is. Maybe they're the mission field, or maybe it is across the, the pond or the sea. But the reality is Jesus came that the whole world would know, and it's always been the mission. When God called Abram and said, hey, go. I'm going to make a nation, and through the nation, my, the world is going to be blessed. So we see these three truths. In the world, we're going to suffer. Jesus says, hey, the world's going to be hard on you. It was hard on me. You're going to suffer, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The peace I give with you, the world knows nothing of, and the world can't take it away. The second point is in Christ, we'll find purpose in our pain. And through Christ, through Christ, we're going to speak the truth in love. So first, the world, in the world, we will suffer. Physical suffering, emotional, spiritual suffering, all across the world, you see. And, and while we look at things like in Ukraine, where it's like, oh, this horrible thing, and then you realize, oh, the leader of Ukraine took over the media, arrested and shut down the church in Ukraine, and, and Americans funded it. Wow, so that sounds a lot like what Hitler did, and we're funding it. Like, and then you hear about, oh, well, Russia's been doing horrible things all around the countries around Thailand and no, no media is covering. It's like, wow, this world's actually really, like what you read, that's actually happened. And it's happening. And we don't know about it. And you read about things and you realize, man, there's a lot of persecution. And, and Christians are being killed like crazy. And we realize there's pain and there's suffering that our brothers and sisters are enduring and there's challenges. And in America, we see, well, people will say, oh, I hate pain. We try and avoid it. But when you think about it, People hate pain without a purpose. But if there's purpose, they love it. CrossFit, like 5,000 burpees, 5,000 push-ups, they pay for membership to do it. There's a thing called like marathons, which that's nothing compared to ultra marathons. And they pay money to do this. And then they prepare their bodies for it to suffer. And they love it. And they're like posting pictures. Look at how I did. It's like, whoa, that's gnarly. And you're opposed to pain? Like the same culture that puts old people in storage facilities for old people. That was not me, that's my grandpa. He quoted that, I quote him on that. He's like, yeah, your grandma fell, she cracked her hip, she's a storage, in a storage place for old people. I'm like, grandpa, you can't say that. It's kind of, but that's just who he is. And, and it's funny, because a lot of people are like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna take that down. I'm like, I don't know. Just the mental picture for me is like a U-Haul, you know, roll-up door, and you got granny in there on a, on a little drip and hospital bed. I'm like, ah, it's not kind of the picture... And we laugh, but it's true. Like, 
cultures up until ours would have the parents, the grandparents alongside the infant, and you're caring for both. And we have daycare for the baby, and we have old storage facility for the grandparents, so we can be not inconvenienced. And it's crazy as we have a, you know, little kids in our homes from time to time, and it's like, oh my goodness, yeah, and talk to families, with, and like, how was your day? And it's like, oh yeah, your schedule. And then I talk with older people, it's like, yeah, I'm, t- I'm taking care of my parents, and, and it's a challenge. But there's a purpose there, because they're family. There's a purpose you're supposed to set. Your, your life is not for you. And in America, we just look at our belly buttons, we look at our bodies, and we're so selfish and self-consumed, we find a way to export anything that slows us or trips us or get our eyes off of us. And we're like, someone else needs to deal with it because I'm too self-focused. But when bad things happen, it wakes us up to our own morality. When car crashes happen, we can't outsource that. Or the insurance company doesn't go fast enough. When the spouse cheats, you're like, ah, I need to control. Why aren't they worshiping me as much as I think I'm awesome? Boyfriend breaks up. You lose your job. Both spouses lose their job, which I, you know, I don't think about bad things often until someone tells me that. I'm like, oh, you both lost your job within a week? Yeah, that, rattled, that would rattle you. That's a, what do you do? Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Just relax. I got you. Check out my church. They'll feed, clothe you. They'll take care of you. And, they got, and, and God's usually, in my, in my case, looking back, it's like, man, unless God totally flipped things upside down and shook things and disrupted the norm... I was super comfortable. A youth pastor forever. I got it on lock. You know, as a teacher with like 20 years, you're like, hey, just repeat this. Like, I know how to handle these situations. Like, kid shows up smoking weed. I've dealt with that. You know, it's no big deal. Like, you, how do you deal with that? Hey, we need to talk about some cultures going this way. How are you prepared for that? Well, I read the Bible and I've been doing ministry. God says, no, you're going to be a lead pastor now. But it's without pain, I wouldn't be prepared. And so we see... In our pain, there's a purpose. God's preparing us. He's opening our eyes. And I look back, everyone lost it when 2020 hit, and I was praising God. Like, thankfully, the church can feel a little bit of what the world feels, especially with Christians. Like, our comfort and our, our priorities, and we just get pushed on a little bit, and we're like, ah, we're going to die. It's like, no, they just said maybe, no, that's not actually what's going to happen. Like, other countries, yes, it's horrible things are happening, but we're, we're going to endure and we can gather as a church in a barn or a basement or outside. It's okay. Like we, we're still going to gather, though. We're not going to not gather. But it's pain without a purpose. People are like, eh, but pain with a purpose? It's interesting. I was thinking about this, and this came to light. When, when, when we die, we're going to either die in sin or in Christ. And that truth helps us endure whatever pain or suffering we're going through. We're in Christ. The, the old is dead, the new has come. We're a new creation in Christ. There's a story of a guy dropping some missionaries off into a, a hostile area, and he's like, dude, you're probably going to die. There's like cannibals there, gonna, and, and the missionaries turn to him and are like, we're already dead. I already died with Christ. What Paul tells us in Galatians. And when you have that mindset, when you're in Christ, when your life is hidden in Christ, the only thing when Paul says to die is gain, because that's my glory, that's my inheritance is with my Lord. That helps us endure and serve and love those, like Jesus said, who are going to hate us because they hated him first. If you belong to the world, they'd love you. But you don't. I called you out of the world, and so they're going to hate you. So we know in this world we're going to suffer, we're going to have trials. But in Christ we find purpose in our pain. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 16 helps us understand this. But the bottom line is he says in verse 
21, which we didn't read, he says, look, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, sweet. Thanks, Paul. Like, good talk. I could just see Timothy reading that and being like, oh, man, I thought, so it's not going to get better? Like, the church isn't the hope of the world? The church isn't just going to make the world better? It's going to get harder and more difficult? And as a Christian, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted? I know right off the bat, like when I got into the workplace and everyone's cussing and it's like, why aren't you cussing? I'm like, I, I asked my youth pastor in middle school, why can Christians cuss? What's the deal? Because when I got out of homeschool to public school, I didn't realize that was the training for, for sailors because everyone's talking like a sailor, just cussing like crazy. It was also really practically construction workers. You know, once I got into construction, I was like, oh, this is the lingo. Just, and my youth pastor's like, well, it doesn't actually say, it just says don't let any... Un- anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. But if you finish that, it says only what's useful for building up, which that even limits my speech even more, which I still struggle with. But here's the reality, is our words have weight. And when we hold words, when there's coarse joking happening, we walk away, all of a sudden you're not on the in crowd. When everyone's joking and they're going to the bar and things happen and you're like, "Ah, I'm not going to the bar anymore, well then you're even more removed from the in crowd. And just on that just initial level, there's a little bit of suffering and persecution that Christians will face. You're not in, maybe you're not chosen for the next promotion. You're not chosen for the next deal because you're, you're, you're pulling out of the world. And Jesus said, no, I've called you out. We're supposed to look different. And then First Peter, we see the reality of suffering and challenges and sometimes you you go too fast and chp before covid they actually pulled you over a lot more i, I just you know see all these cars blindly bl- bl- like ah, i'm not gonna worry about it i don't get paid enough so here's the deal peter's like hey don't get when you get pulled over don't freak out and be like oh i'm suffering uh, uh, must be because i'm a christian no you're speeding you broke the law and if you're out of california and you shoplift you'll get arrested and you'll get like pers- prosecuted for that but don't freak out because you're, you're breaking the law. He said you should suffer for doing good. You need to be suffering because you're proclaiming Christ. And the unique thing is, we're going to get into it, when they were martyred, they were, they were accused of horrible things that they weren't actually doing. It wasn't actually that they were, were molesting kids or doing these horrible things. They were preaching Christ, but they were accused for that. So Peter's like, hey, don't actually be breaking the law and get arrested and then freak out. and be like, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just being an idiot. You're supposed to love people, serve them, and if you get arrested for going into a place that they said, don't be here and tell people about Jesus, and you go regardless and you tell people about Jesus, then you're suffering for doing good. And so he says in verse 17, looking 14 through 18, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good. It should be God's will, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, for for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. As we see Romans 8, 18, it says, trials, sufferings, persecutions increase, and so does our anticipation for future glory. As we see our own experience of rejection, betrayal, we see Jesus was rejected, rejected betrayed, and he was crucified. In 1 Peter 2, 21 the chapter before it says to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps 
He gave us an example. He came not to be served, but to serve. And because he served us by dying on the cross, being buried, rising from the grave, he took our old life and gave us a new life when we believe and receive. And and that's what he's calling us to. And, And the world likes to focus on who you were. And Satan likes to remind you of who you were and get you distracted and tripped up instead of what Jesus is saying, come and follow me, I'll make you a new creation. And we see the... The missionaries, the five missionaries that went to Ecuador and, and were martyred, Nate St. Peter Fleming, Ed McCauley, Jim Elliott, and Roger Yudrin, they were speared with nine-foot-long spears on January 8, 1956. And there was an article that came out written by Steve St., the son of Nate St. So here's a son writing about the father who was speared to death by the Yucca Indians, and he was interviewed. He interviewed the tribe extensively and, and figured out the details of the killing and, and how it went down. And it was interesting. He said it was kind of happenstance. There, there were things happening behind the scenes that accounted for this. And he came to one point in the article, and I had to reread it because I was stunned by it. And he, the conclusion of the interview said, as they described their recollection, it occurred to me how incredibly unlikely it was that the Palm Beach killing took place at all. The Palm Beach was the little island where all the the bloodshed happened. He said, how unlikely it was that the Palm Beach killings took place was an anomaly that couldn't be explained outside of divine intervention. I had to reread that. So it occurred to me how incredibly unlikely it was the Palm Beach killings took place at all. It's an anomaly that you can't really explain outside of divine intervention. Basically, what Amos wrote in 3.6 has evil befallen the city unless the Lord has done it? Somehow, in God's sovereignty, he knew all this. And, and Elizabeth Elliot was not sitting there going, you know what, Jim's going to probably die today, and then I'm going to stay, and I'm going to share the gospel with the tribe, and everyone's going to come to know Jesus. This is my master plan evangelism. Like, that probably wouldn't gain a lot of support and a lot of fundraising in America. It's like, wait, your, your, your husband's going to die, and then you're going to stay? You should leave. Like, we have a granny unit out back. Like, we'll set it up. We'll get you a Mercedes with a heated steering wheel. Like, you've suffered enough. Like, you need to come back, and you'll be honor- venerated and this amazing missionary widow. Like, we're going to just, you have a book tour, signing deals all around. We'll get you set up for life. Like, we'll run a TV thing and a radio thing, and we got a network for you. You're... That's not what she did. And that's not what the son, like I just can't imagine I've tried to prepare my kids like, hey, I don't, I'm not wishing, I'm not trying to get like extra attention on me. But if I look back and I look at where we're going, just looking at history, Paul wasn't just trying to scare Timothy or scare us. He's like, I want you to be aware. Jesus said to be aware and be ready because the suffering and ultimately the early church, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we're going to see examples of that. And, and we see it right here. When they were martyred, the blood went down and saturated and the gospel seeds took root in the hearts of those men. And even as they're recounting, they're like, I don't even do this. And that, yeah, you said that. And then, yeah, we just speared them. And it was, we just killed them. And, and the son's saying, yeah, God orchestrated that for their salvation. And, and the crazy thing is I have so many friends that are down there in, in, Quito, in, in Ecuador doing ministry to, to, or in Papua New Guinea in, in, the, in, the, in those tribes and the Indians. And it's amazing to think, wow, that we're going to have a missionary come that is, is standing on the shoulders of that work that God began and is continuing to today. And even, you know, Brad Buser was up at Hume Lake 
sharing when I was in middle school, and I was nodding my head with him as he's telling his story. I grew up in Southern California, Huntington Beach, surfer, and I'm like, all right, I like this guy. And he's like, yeah, and then God got a hold of my heart and, and called me to be a missionary, and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, surf, missionary, I want to get down there and maybe I'll go to college down in that area. And he's like, yeah, and, and, and he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, if you're not a missionary and sharing your faith, then you're not a Christian. And I was taken back. And, what? Who is this guy? I don't know if I like him anymore. So we went to small groups, and I told my small group leader, I was like, hey, I think that guy's like lying. I don't think he's telling the truth. Like, how does he, he said, if I'm not like a missionary, like on mission, sharing my faith, then I'm not a Christian. How does he, who, who does he think he is? He doesn't even know me. And my small group leader just fumbled it and, and like, couldn't figure it out. He's like, I don't know what to do. Because we don't talk about suffering. We don't talk about sharing your faith. It was like, uh. And so I left. And thankfully, uh, God is one God in three persons. And the Holy Spirit ministered to me and said, hey, yeah, he's actually right. And you're kind of being a pansy. You need to man up and grow. Because do you really love people? Then you're going to tell them what they don't want to hear because you care about their soul. And you're going to go places that no one cares to go. And you're going to do things no one even thinks about doing because, because you're motivated by me. And you're going to tell people about me and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to suffer. And it's funny looking back, you know, our friends will do vacations not to compare anything. But it's like, yeah, we've, we've only gone places on, missions, on mission. Like we only go to these places and it's like, oh, you've been to Costa Rica? How's the surfing? Actually, we went to where there wasn't really surf. And then we hiked into the village where there was like witch doctors and demonic stuff. And we did some ministry there. And then we, we did drive by and I looked at the waves. And after doing ministry there for years, I did get, you know, little hours of surfing in. But it, that's not why we were there. And it's amazing to think about rolling back all those years and going, okay, that happened. And then the sacrifice of serving in kids ministry. And being, being humiliated sometimes when all my friends are going to get donuts and ditching church. And I'm like, I got to go hang out with these snotty kids that just throw Legos at me. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not a good Lego builder. Like, God did not build me to do that. Like, I want to play soccer or basketball. Like, I want to comp- compete. And there's these, like, two-year-olds you got to be gentle with, apparently. You know, they're still fragile. And even though they throw out crazy attitude, you're like, what? You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not your dad. I can't, you know, I got to calm down. And you start learning how to serve with no thank you, right? And, and it was like, wow, Lord, you taught me humility. You taught me what it was like to serve. And you prepared in those sacrificial Sundays where I'd have to get up and, and skateboard to church. That wasn't me. Like, if you know me, I'm a very selfish person. That was not me. That was God saying, I'm preparing you for something, but it's gonna cost you. It was interesting. There's one of our students was helping in, kids ministry leading worship and I went back when I wasn't teaching last Sunday and I, I saw him disappear and his dad was like where is he he's supposed to help me lead worship and he's in the doorway listening and he's like every time I serve they play all the good worship songs I was like yeah serving is sacrifice and you have to suffer a little bit but that's not entirely true they do play good worship all the time I don't know what you're but there is that part that reveals oh in our hearts are we willing to sacrifice what's comfortable what's easy And in Christ, there's purpose in our pain. He's developing something in you for his glory and your good. But you don't always see it. There's no way Job was like, I'm so glad you killed everything, took everything, but my wife who's not helping but hurting the situation. But the Lord gives and takes away, blessed be your name. Like Nate Saint said, you know what? There's purpose in this pain. And now we see it looking back in the moment when your dad and your husband are speared dead, 
There's no purpose yet. But Jesus said, hey, I've overcome the world. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The peace I give with you, the, pe- the world can't touch or take away. So in Christ, we see there is purpose in our pain. And through Christ, we're going to speak the truth in love. And there's a verse that, that really shook me as I was preparing for this that I wanted to share with you as we really unpack what that means, that, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We see Colossians 1, 24 through 25. And it's, it's a, an interesting, because it, it says to, to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. When you think about that, through Christ, we're supposed to be speaking the truth in love. And, and Ephesians talks about that we're going to speak the truth in love and building one another up into unity in the church. And then we see Paul saying, hey, there's actually this, this lacking in, in Christ's afflictions that we're going to fill up. And he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and for my flesh. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. So there's this, this very close to heresy because you're like, Jesus completed. He, he died on the cross. He said, it's finished. But then he says, now go to the whole world and join me in this suffering and, and fill up what's lacking is continue to preach the gospel and endure the suffering. And here's what we see with the apostles and the early believers that were obedient and that did not turn their back on Jesus and, and the power of the testimony that talks about in Revelation that they conquered the enemy by the power of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. Jesus died and rose again. The blood of the lamb is secure. The promise is true. Now it's up to us to, t- to testify, to live a life, not just speak it, but live a life that the world looks at and goes, wait a minute, we're in darkness and there's light right there. What's the difference? And a lot of them run back into the darkness. So we know that's a reality. But when you look at these, these accounts, Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being drugged by horses. Luke was hung in Greece as a result of preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of oil, but miraculously was saved and banished into the prison on Patmos. And then he was later released and he was the only one who didn't die a martyrdom, but suffered greatly. Peter was crucified upside down because he told the, the, the guards, hey, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way my Lord and Savior was. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over 100 feet down on the southern pinnacle of the temple where he refused to deny his faith, and then they beat him with a club. James, the son of Zebedee, he was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a life of ministry. As a strong leader in the church, James was beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched in awe and amazed at James. His testimony shook the jailer to his core as he defended his faith and, and, and saw him day and night and realized this guy's legit. And so the officer walked beside James to the place of execution, overcome by conviction, and declared his new faith before the judge and was beheaded alongside James. The blood of the lamb and by the testimony the, the power of living motivated by the gospel that others who've yet to believe would see your good works and glorify God in heaven. That sounds like something Jesus would say, because he did. 
He said, don't just say it. Don't just get on a mic and say stuff. Don't say, live it out. That the unbelieving world would find it unbelievable that you actually live what you believe and your life is actually transformed, not by us or by our, think, but by the gospel. And by renewing our mind, we've transformed our thoughts and our heart. And now we desire to live a godly life enduring suffering and persecution in Christ, we find purpose. But we're speaking the truth in love. And because you're so loving and because you're telling the truth, it persuades people to believe and be saved. And Bartholomew was known as Nathaniel. He was on missionary journey to Asia, which is modern-day Turkey as well. And uh, he was martyred, filleted to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in, in Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, he saluted the cross saying, I've long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days while he was tied up there, slowly dying. The, the resolve, what motivated these men? It wasn't, man, I can't wait. If I just last one more day, I think somebody's going to hook me up with some in and out That was not their motivation. They were not like, man, I can't wait for the return on my investments, my 401k, and when I get to this age, I'll go down and play some golf, get a boat. It was Christ. And they looked at the cross, like, cool, you're going to cause me to suffer the same way my Lord did. He told me this would happen. I'm ready, and I get to continue to preach Christ as long as I have breath. I'm proclaiming his name. Is that motivating you? Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips. Jude was killed with arrows. Matthias who replaced Judas, was stoned and beheaded, and Paul was tortured and beheaded under the reign of Nero. The amazing thing as I looked at these accounts this past week was how many people came to know Christ because believers lived what they said. They lived it out, what Jesus said. And then when they died, they died joyfully and willfully. When they came to arrest them, the believers said, here you go, here, I'll put the cuffs on for you. When unbelievers, criminals were, were arrested, they ran and they fought. But Christians were like, yeah, you're right. I love Jesus. Arrest me. Here we go. I'll tell you, can I tell you more about Jesus as we go? And the world saw that and was like, that's great. They're actually living what they believe. They're believing what they live. They're, I, I want to believe that too. And Justin Martyr admitted being converted by watching martyrs die, seeing them fearless before death. I thought it impossible that they lived in vice and love of pleasure. He came into the early church because of the martyrs' faith and the way they lived their lives. We see that in Colossians and Paul saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He wasn't just throwing words together. It was literally to encourage and strengthen the faith of the believers in the church. And my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body that is the church. In verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the world, to make the word of God fully known. Oswald Sanders was 89 when he told this story. I want to kind of close with as we think about what's motivating us. He started writing books when he was 70. So some of you are just about there. I got a little ways to go before I can start writing some books. You know, learn a lot more than I do now, but 89. He didn't take the American dream and retire and go play golf and get yacht. He was 89. He was saying this, this uh, missionary went up to this Indian village and he had to hike up this huge hill and 
mountain. And by the time he got up early in the morning and hiked all day, and he finally got there late in the day, and his feet are bloody and blistered. And, he, and he, he's like, I got to take a minute to gather myself, maybe get a nap. So as the communion elements are starting to get passed out, the Holy Spirit prompts him and says, what are you doing? You came this way. You're not done yet. So he goes in. His motivation was to get the gospel to people, doing things not yet done to reach those not yet reached. And he walks into this village of Indians. He starts sharing the gospel and he tells them, hey, you're in sin. You're, you're, you're living for yourself. You're lying, you're cheating, you're coveting. Maybe you're attracted to the same sex. Maybe you're having sex with someone else's wife. The whole list that Paul goes over and they're like, get out of here, you're, get out of here, we don't wanna hear that. So he goes out and gets rejected. Passes out, exhaustion, feet are busted, busted up, bloody. And he wakes up to a bunch of the Indians surrounding him. And he's like, great, I'm gonna get tortured and beat or killed. And they look at him and they realize, man, his feet are bloody. He made this whole trek for us. He's a holy man. And so they said, hey, come in. We want to hear what you had to tell us. Can you tell it to us again? When, when you share the gospel, you're going to be rejected. It might not be right away, but when you are, don't give up. Keep praying and stay close enough that, man, they could, the Holy Spirit could stir them and say, hey, what, what you said to me, what was that? But it's not this, ah, oh, I'm better than you. You need, to, you need to repent and do all the things I'm telling you to do. It's loving saying, hey, you're, you're in sin and you're either gonna die in sin and pay for it or you're gonna die in Christ. And, and every time we get to this point, he, we've all been there sharing our faith. We've all been discouraged. We're gonna encounter trials and we're gonna suffer, but what's motivating you? And are you able to trust Christ with everything in your life, knowing that, yeah, there might be a severe cost, but that's why Jesus said, count the cost pick up your cross, deny yourself daily and follow me. And when our life is hidden with Christ, then we go and we proclaim the gospel that is so offensive to a world in love with evil and sin and calling it good. And we're saying, no, that's not. But we're loving, we care about you because we know it's gonna maybe offend, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna be hard, but it's good. And we know the consequence. We know that the world rejected Jesus and so we're prepared. We're not alarmed, we're aware. We see that as Paul tells the church in Colossians, it's in my sufferings I complete what is lacking and the inflictions of Christ and the sufferings. Romans 5, three through five, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So how do we become men and women that are motivated by Christ, that our, our life is hidden in Christ, that we would go and the Spirit would prompt us and open our eyes to see opportunities? It starts by blessing you, beginning in prayer, listening to what conversations are happening and how the Spirit might prompt you and share a meal with somebody and then, and then eat with somebody and serve one another and then share the gospel and then connect them to ministry and then minister with them alongside them and then release them to make disciples. And that's why in, in Ephesians, Paul says, look, we gotta be speaking the truth in love and we'll grow together to become in every respect mature in whom, who is the head and that is Christ. So as we hold the elements now, we come to the, the end where we go, okay, what's the offer? Am I gonna 
Am I going to be motivated by Christ to go and love like Christ, knowing it's going to cost me, knowing there's going to be some sacrifice involved, holding the sacrifice that Jesus made to forgive you of sin and send you on as ambassadors, proclaiming that he died and rose again, and that payment is good for your neighbor, it's good for your family, your friends, it's good for everyone. So are we going on mission proclaiming that Jesus died and rose again to save them, knowing that we will join in his suffering. I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll give you a minute with the elements. Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us to reflect. We thank you for the testimonies of the men and women that have gone before us and that willingly, joyfully embraced the suffering, knowing that you set that example. Because as you joyfully endured the cross, it meant securing our salvation. It meant serving us the way that we desperately needed but had no clue that to show us your love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ, you died on the cross to pay the debt we owed, forgiving us of sin, setting us free to follow you and serve like you. And if that means suffer like you, we pray your spirit would prepare us and that we would live and die as you did with your eyes fixed on the prize, looking for those who've yet to believe and drawing them to you. We pray, God, you draw those to you right now. If one is yet to believe, that they believe now and be saved. We pray for the believers, if there's anything in our heart just holding us back from, from being completely abandoned to your mission, that you'd reveal that, expose it, and remove it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sit with the elements, it's for the believer to be reminded this is what set you free from sin. This is the promise of the covenant, of his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so even as we sit here, maybe there's forgiveness that, that you need from somebody. You're like, oh man, I, I wronged them. I need to go. Or maybe there's forgiveness that you need to, someone needs from you or that you need to get from somebody. Or maybe there's someone that knows, that you know, that doesn't have the forgiveness from Christ. So you can pray for them now that God will open the door for you to share the hope you have with them. And I'll come up and close this in a minute.